1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight is where we're going to be looking in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. How many of you have ever heard this expression before? When the only tool you have, every problem looks like a nail. Have you ever heard that expression before? You haven't? Oh. Man, I shouldn't have told you it was a common expression. You would have thought I was really witty. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. I don't know who came up with it. But yeah, it's an expression I've heard many, many times. That if the only tool you have... Is, an, is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. Okay. Did I say it wrong the first time? Oh, no wonder you looked at me like I was ridiculous. Well, you should have known if it was common what I was going to say. Y'all are confusing me. Okay, let me try again. When the only tool you have is a... Every problem looks like a... There we go. Now we're on the same page. What does that mean? Well, you know, sometimes people have the one approach to every problem that they want to use every time, and that's it. And it's just, whatever it is, do this, and that'll fix it. Uh, and it can apply in very er various areas of life. But you know, as Christians, sometimes we're guilty of that. We want to be helpful. And we want to encourage other people. Uh, we want to do our part as a member of the body of, of Christ. But sometimes we're guilty of just grabbing a hammer and starting whacking. And that's not always the best approach. Too often we use just one tool in our arsenal and too often we misuse that tool to the detriment of others. I want you to look with me at a verse of Scripture tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. The title of my message tonight is not very creative. It's simply how to help different people. Because we need to discern when different people have different needs and learn how to better minister to their specific needs. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we bow before you tonight, we believe that you have truth for us in your word, that we need tonight. And maybe we'll use it tonight. Maybe we'll use it this week. Maybe it's not really something we need till down the road, but it's a truth that we need either way. And Lord, I pray that you would teach it to us tonight. And may we be willing to be the instruments that you want us to be, instruments of righteousness, that encourage others, and that bring you glory and honor. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to be doing a lot more of word studying than I typically do in a message, and I hope, I hope you'll stick with me through it, because in this verse we have a series of commands of how to handle different situations and how to help 
different people. And so I think it's important for us to really grasp the, the nuances and the differences in the approaches that the Holy Spirit is trying to um, teach us through this verse tonight. So first of all, very simply, we're going to look at the different needs. And then we're going to look, secondly, at the different approaches and then sum it up with uh, a final truth at the end that applies to everybody. But first of all, let's talk about the different needs. We have three different categories of people in this verse, and each of them have needs of some kind, but each of them have different needs. Notice, we are to warn the unruly. That's the first category. We're to comfort the feeble-minded. That's the second category. And then support the weak. So let's look at these different categories. First of all, warn the unruly. What does it mean to be unruly? I don't know about you, but when I hear the term unruly, I think of children who are just absolutely out of control. They're just going crazy, and they just have lost all self-control, all discipline, and it's just chaos. Come to homeschool fellowship on a Wednesday, and you'll see that. Slightly controlled chaos, but chaos nonetheless. It's interesting that the word that's translated unruly here, uh, it's a compound word, it has a, a negative beginning, uh, and the main root of the word has the idea of uh, to be arranged in a proper order. And so by adding the negative to it, it means to be unarranged. And by implication then, it has the idea of being insubordinate, literally stepping out of line is the idea. Turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Let me show you another instance where this root word is used. This word was sometimes used in the original language and in Scripture, as we'll see here, in a military context. So I want you to imagine a, uh, a group of soldiers who are marching on parade. And one thing that they're supposed to be doing is they're supposed to be marching in line and in step. All right. If they're not doing that, you can't really call it a march. It's just more like they're all taking a walk. So if they're marching on parade, they're supposed to be marching in line and in step. If one of those soldiers gets out of step or out of line, then the biblical word for that would be this word, unruly. And look here in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse number 8. Um, a, a soldier was speaking to Jesus and he said, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So this man is talking to Jesus about how he understood authority. And he used this word, and in, in, in our Bibles it's translated here as the word set. I am a man set under authority. In other words, I have received my orders from the higher-ups, they have put me in this position, and I know my place. And not only that, I know the place of those who are under me, because I'll tell one to go, and he'll go, and so on and so forth. And so there's this definite idea of subordination to authority, obeying authority, staying in line, staying in step. Now, if somebody is out of line, somebody is out of step, they're unruly. Now, what is this talking about spiritually? Well, this is referring to the person who is the rebellious, outright sinner. 
And the specific need here is that there is a lack of obedience in their life. They have gotten out of line. They are not doing what they have been told to do in Scripture, and they need to be corrected. That's the unruly person. Now, we can easily recognize this unruly person because that's the one that that's the obvious sense. You know, that's the person who is uh, robbing the bank. <laughs> and that's the person uh, who is uh, selling drugs on the street corner. You know, these are the people that's like, oh, that is outright open rebellion and disobedience. Easy to identify. And there's a specific way that we are to deal with them, as we'll see in just a minute. But that's the first kind of need. Notice the second kind of need here. It says that we are to support the weak. The word weak here is a very interesting word. It's only used this in this verse in the New Testament. There's no other place in the New Testament this particular word is used. And it literally means to be weak in heart. Or one, um, one person defined it as being puny-souled. Being puny souled. This is a person who is just has this extreme inner weakness. It's almost like a timidness, a faint heartedness, you know, that scaredy cat or being chicken hearted or whatever other animal illustration you want to use. It's a person who's just their 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 heart lacks the spiritual strength that it needs. And so the translators use this idea of feeble-minded, a weakness on the inside. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to show you the opposite, what this is the opposite of, and what God's will is for us to be, and, and why this is a need, why this is a problem that needs to be addressed. Ephesians chapter 3 Look at verse 16. And that he would grant you, this is Paul's prayer for the believers, by the way. He was praying that God would grant them, according to the riches of his, of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You know, God wants us to be strong in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds, on the inner man. God wants us to be strengthened in that way. And this person who is feeble-minded is the exact opposite of that. They're weak, they're puny, and they're souls. And they need help. And then there's a third category. Simply, um, simply the weak. So comfort the feeble-minded. That's the one we just talked about. And then support the weak. The word weak here has the idea of sick. So there's two kinds of weakness. There's a weakness that just comes from you've never built the strength. And then there's another kind of weakness that comes from you got sick and you lost your strength. How many of you over the last, let's say, two months have dealt with the flu or some other of these seasonal illnesses? How many of you? I thought pretty much the whole congregation. It's been going around. And some of you may have had that variant where it just hit you like a ton of bricks, right? And you just felt absolutely awful. You were so weak, you couldn't hardly make it, you know, from the bed to the couch kind of a thing. That's the kind of weakness that is a, a result of sickness. And so that's kind of the difference here between the feeble-mindedness and the simple weakness here. And turn to Romans chapter 14. Let me show you 
an example of what, I, what this kind of weakness would be. Romans chapter 14. And verse number 1. Him that is... What's that say there? Weak. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. So this is what this is talking about. Um, this is a simply a lack of strength in their spirit, perhaps because they've been afflicted by something. So we have the people who are unruly. They are the rebellious, out of line. They know better, but they're doing it anyway. You have the the feeble-minded, these are the people that are just timid. They have a lack of assurance. They're, they, they don't have peace. They're just uneasy. They're just not really courageous in, in, in their walk with God. And then you have just those who are weak. Maybe they've been afflicted by something and their strength has been sapped from them. All of these people, you would see, are in need, right? But all of their needs are different. Now, if the only tool we have is a spiritual hammer which I'm going to use the equivalent, spiritual equivalent of a rebuke being a spiritual hammer. All right, a rebuke is just when you say, you're wrong, here's what's right, fix it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of times that's what I need. I, I need that. I need somebody to just say, you're wrong, this is what's right, fix it. But you know what, that's not always the right answer in trying to help people. Different people have different needs. And you know this in your own life. You've been at different, different places and different times and different seasons where you've had different struggles. Sometimes you needed the hammer. But sometimes you needed somebody just to come alongside you and be willing to talk and be willing to listen a little bit. So what is the proper way to handle these different people with different needs? We're going to spend a little more time on this part because this is what's really important. Okay, so number, number one, we're going to talk now about the different approaches. We've seen the different needs. What are the different approaches? Well, notice back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay, let's take that first category of the unruly, those who are out of line. Here's what Paul says to do. He says, you need to warn them. Now right here is the kind of spiritual hammer that we're talking about. This is where you don't beat around the bush. You don't coddle them. You don't sympathize with their sin. You warn them. You say, hey, that's wrong. You need to stop. God says you're supposed to do this, but you're not. You're doing this instead. So fix it. The word here... Um, some of you may, may have heard a, a, a form of this word. Um, in Christian counseling circles, there's something called nuthetic counseling. Some of you maybe have heard that before. Um, and it's basically the idea that we get our counsel from the Word of God. It comes right out of the Bible, and we, we show people from the Scripture what God says that applies to their situation. And that's this word right here, nutheteo, that we get nuthetic from. Now, I, I point that out because depending on what 
context you have, depending on you know, what image you get in your mind, when you hear the word warn, you may think something different. Because some people, when they use the word warn, it's more like, I'm warning you. And it's like a threat implied. You know what I mean? That's not this word. This is not to threaten people. In fact, to my knowledge, there's no place in Scripture where we are commanded as believers to threaten one another. I have studied through all the one another's of the New Testament that I can find, and threaten one another is not there. <laughs> but we are to warn. What's the difference? Well, a warning is kind of like the warnings that they put on the packages of the labels and all of the paperwork when you buy a new product. Have you ever read some of that stuff? You read through this, and it's like, it can do this, it can do that, it can do this, it can do that. And it's like, I know they have to put it in there for the lawyers and the people who live in California, but it's like, is all this really necessary? I mean... Do people really try to dry their hair while they're still in the bathtub so that you have to put a warning label on the hair dryer, don't use in the bathtub? I don't, if you do that, don't tell me. I just, <laughs> I don't do that, just in case you're wondering. What does a warning label do? All it does is say, hey, if you do this, here's the consequences that could happen. That's this word, warn. Somebody who is out of line, they're openly rebellious, they're dis disobeying God's word. You say, you don't come to them and threaten them. If you don't stop it, we're going to blah, blah. No. You say, hey, let me, let me warn you that the consequences of this sinful choice are not something you want to deal with. Look what God says. And you take them back to Scripture and you show them where God says this is sin and how sin will be punished. Maybe it's a specific sin that has a specific consequence. But that's the idea here. There, there is an, an admonition involved where you say, hey, this isn't right. You need to do this. Uh, it's defined in one place to put in mind that is by implication to cause to caution, rather, or to reprove gently. And so gentleness is an aspect of this. But here's the thing. Gentleness is somewhat relative, right? Depending on the danger, your warning may be more or less forceful, but you still want it gentle. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. If when one of my children were little, they were playing out near the road and they started getting a little too close to the road, I'm going to begin admonishing them by simply, you know, raising my voice a little bit and saying, you know, Levi, you need to get away from the road. Now, if he doesn't respond to that and he gets a little bit closer to the road, guess what? I'm going to become a little more forceful in my admonition. But now let's say there's a car coming and I see him running toward the road. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to say, now Levi, you really shouldn't be playing so close to the road. Is that what I'm going to do? No. 
What am I doing? I'm running out there, and I'm physically intervening. And you know what? To him, as five-year-old Levi, that might seem kind of rough. Daddy, why did you grab me like that? Why did you pick me up off my feet? Why did you throw me over your shoulder and carry me back in the house and teach me a lesson? That didn't seem very gentle. Well, you know what? That was a lot more gentle than him being hit by a car, right? So the warning here, it doesn't mean that we're passive or we're wimpy about it. There can be some force behind it, but it's equal to the threat. It's equal to the danger, I should say, and it's for their good. We warn the unruly. And by the way, I stole this from the Apostle Paul because he said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So we warn the unruly. But number two, notice that he says we are to comfort the feeble-minded. The word for comfort here is a word that means to encourage or to console. You see the different approach here? This person's out of line. You don't encourage them in that sense. No, you warn them. This person over here that's just feeble-minded, this is the person who is puny-souled, okay? They're, they're timid. They, they lack spiritual courage. They're, just, they're really struggling with a lack of assurance and all those kinds of things. You don't get in their face and tell them to straighten up. No, that's, that's not how you handle them. They need, they need to be encouraged. They need to be consoled. They need to be calmed. And what they need to be reassured with is the truth. Because all fear goes back to a wrong belief and a lack of faith. A lack of faith is what causes us to fear in an unrighteous way. And if you've ever been at that point in your life, you understand this. That when you're really struggling with assurance, you're really, you just feel puny souled. And sometimes we, forget, we go through days, seasons like that sometimes, where we just feel puny on the inside. We don't need people beating us up. We don't need people kicking us while we're down. We need people that are going to come along and be willing to encourage and to console us. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. It should not be beneath us to comfort one another. We are often in need of comfort ourselves, and God freely ministers that comfort to our hearts. And what 2 Corinthians 1 tells us is that part of the reason God does that is so that we, in turn, can comfort other people. We go through this tribulation, and God helps us through it. And a lot of times, God will use people to help us through that. So that when we come out of it, when we come across someone else going through something, we can help comfort them. 
That's what God says here. That's the biblical pattern. He comforts us that we may be able to comfort them that are in any trouble. And that's what the feeble-minded, the puny-souled need. They need some comfort. They need some consolation. They need some encouragement. Now, let me say this. Encouragement can look different, too. You think about a, uh, a coach of a sports team encouraging his players to give their all. What does that look like? Well, it can look like a lot of different things. And if you're listening from the sidelines, you may be wondering, why is that guy so mad? You know, you ever seen a coach like that? I mean, he's just, you know, veins popping out, his face is red, and he's yelling at his guys, get them all! You think, but you know why he can do that? It's because he has a rapport with that team. They understand that language right there. But you know what? You're not going to put him in the church nursery and expect him to do that in kids, is you? right? There's some leeway here for what encouraging and consoling looks like, and you need to be practicing godly discernment, though, and to know in various situations and in various relationships... What is the best approach here? How do I encourage? Maybe it starts out with a very soft, consoling, but maybe it just keeps going on and on, and you finally get to the point and you say, okay, look, you need to get it together, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I need to hear that too. But we comfort the feeble-minded. They lack assurance, and like I said, we, that we need to reassure them. It's going to be okay. Why? Because I said so? No, because God said so. All things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. Don't doubt God. Yeah, but I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. Well, don't. Because God said, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Yeah, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? God's still in control. There's nothing that escapes His sovereign plan, His providence for your life. And there's nowhere that you can go and be separated from Him, and there's nothing that can separate you from His love. So what they need is to be reassured in the truth. Comfort the feeble-minded. And then notice it says we need to support the weak. Support the weak. So this is the person who maybe has been afflicted, and because of that affliction, they have lost spiritual strength. That happens, you know. Spiritual strength, I, I don't think it's right to view it as a constant. Like, you know, we always are making steady progress upward. I, I think it's much more kind of a wave. Hopefully it's an upward progressing wave. But, you know, we go through times where it's just a hard time and we feel ourselves spiritually weakened. Maybe it's a physical trial. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe, it's, maybe we're having some struggles spiritually. You're going to face that. You look at the Psalms. There's a lot of times where the psalmists were just like, God, where are you? Look at all this bad stuff that's going on. And there's going to be times where you're going to ask questions like that and you're going to be spiritually weak. What, what do we do to help that person? Well, notice it says we are to support them. The word here for support literally means to hold oneself opposite to. 
to hold fast, to hold to, or support. So let's just say, for sake of illustration, just, just making this up, your wife was in the blue room adjusting balloons, and she fell and twisted her ankle and couldn't walk. You know what she would need, fellas? Support. Someone who would come alongside her and that would help bear the weight so that she could get somewhere in proper foot. Now, I'm just saying if that happened, right? It reminded me of another example of this. Another time in my life with a very important uh, lady to me twisted her ankle. Do you remember this story? <laughs> I'll try. Okay. I was in high school. I had my driver's license, so I was 16 or 17. And uh, I was, it was the middle of the school day. My mom was a church secretary. And all of a sudden, somebody came and got me and said, your mom has twisted her ankle. She needs your help. Apparently, it's a thing in my life, women twisting their ankles. But anyway, she needs your help. She can't even walk. So she's down in our gymnasium, and um, the back of our gymnasium had concrete steps. And it was pretty high. It was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 steps, right? Well, our family car at the time was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. My mom couldn't walk. I'm not going to let her walk down those stairs. So I went and got the keys, and I got in our Jeep Grand Cherokee, and next thing you know, 17-year-old Stephen Chambers is driving up those concrete steps in a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And here's my mom. She's got people helping her out, and she sees her intelligent son driving up the steps. To this day, I don't think she's ever yelled at me louder than that. <laughs> but what was I trying to do? Support. I was trying to help. Why? Because there'd been an affliction. I obeyed her. I, I drove back down. <laughs> she's still traumatized by it. <laughs> There's an aspect of this, though, I really want to point out to you. Turn to Matthew 6 and verse 24. So you get this idea of coming alongside someone to support them, supporting the weak. They've been afflicted and they've lost their strength. They need help. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see that word hold right there? Of a master clinging to the servant? That's the word support. It's used in the same, uh, it's the same uh, word used in the same, um, Luke's telling of the same verse in Luke 16, 13. But now look to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1.
Verse number 9. says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. See that word holding? That's the word support. Here's an aspect of this. I think it's important. Loyalty. You notice this? Like a servant is loyal to his master, like you and I should be loyal to the Word of God, we are to be loyal to one another. Here's what happens all too often. In the Christian life, somebody we know is having a hard time, and so we, uh, we want to help them a little bit. So we come alongside them, we do a little bit for them. But then we get tired of it. And after a little while we think, all right, well, they're just going to just gonna have to figure it out on their own. And after a little while we basically abandon them. Or, or we'll help somebody a little bit and we'll begin to fit, get an idea of what they're going through. Maybe they'll share a little bit of their story with us and we start going around and you, we don't call it gossip. We share prayer requests. You know what I mean? Now don't get me wrong. Genuinely sharing prayer requests is a great thing to do. But sometimes we excuse our gossip with spiritual language. We go around, we talk, we talk to other people that aren't involved, that can't do anything about it, and we, we begin to talk behind that person's back. It's not loyalty. It's not just coming alongside them for a second. It's coming alongside them for the season. Whatever it is, we're going to be loyal to them. Why? Because they're weak. We never know, they never know. We never know when they may need us to be there for them. They may think they're fine. They may be going along and all of a sudden that knee gives out again. And if somebody's not there to support them, they're going to hit the ground. Be back at square one. We need to support the weak. That's the idea here of loyally coming alongside someone, holding fast to them, to hold on to them, to prop them up till they get their strength back and they can stand on their own. Now let's look back at our text verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. There's actually a fourth approach, but it's universal. Because the last thing, last phrase of this verse is, be patient toward all. Men. Patient. If you're going to truly help others, you're going to need a dump truck full of patience. Because helping other people isn't easy. They are going to try your patience. You know why? Because they're a sinner like you are. Because each of us 
has a very bad habit of doing the same wrong thing over and over again. And we need to be reminded over and over again. We need to be warned. We need to be comforted. We need to be consoled. We need to be supported over and over again. And if you're not willing to have the patience that it takes to help other people, you're not going to be much of a help to other people. There's no quick fix. You think, well, salvation was quick. It was instant. Well, for you, yes. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were saved. But think about what went into that. It wasn't quick. In fact, it goes all the way back to eternity past. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There's no quick fixes. If we're going to help others, we have to be in it for the long haul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote to Timothy there that the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. He said in chapter 4 of that same book, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Now listen to this list. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That sounds almost like what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5. He lists three different ways to approach people. Some people you need to reprove them. Some people you need to rebuke them. Some people they just need some exhortation. But all of them need long-suffering. All of them need patience. They don't need you to walk by and as you're walking by, throw your head over their shoulder and say, hey, I hope you're doing all right and keep on going. They need somebody who will be there with them as long as needed to help them. Patience is needed for all because we all need patience. You know, you cannot treat everyone the same. Because not everyone has the same needs. Wouldn't it be great if they discovered a medicine that cured everything? Wouldn't that be great? The literal cure-all drug. Take this one medicine, and whatever your sickness is, whatever your ailment is, from arthritis to cancer to whatever, Take this one medicine, and it'll fix your problem. Wouldn't it be awesome? Now, if they discovered that, the pharmaceutical companies would never allow it to be released, all right? Because it would put them out of business. But we think, well, that would be great, yeah. But that's not how the world works, is it? The reason we have so many different treatments, so many different medications, so many different things out there, why? It's because we have so many different needs. You can't treat them all the same way. If you tried to do that, it would hurt the people that you were trying to help. What do you understand tonight? The same is true spiritually. There are people that God has put in your life. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a husband or wife or a son or a daughter. Maybe it's the people you work with. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's just a good friend from childhood that you've kept up with all these years. But there's people that God has put in your life in part so that you can help them spiritually. And you understand tonight, 
that you can't take a one-size-fits-all, one-pill-fixes-everything kind of approach. You can't just grab a spiritual hammer and start swinging. You need to realize that different people have different needs. Think about our Savior. Did He treat everybody exactly the same? No, He treated everybody a little bit differently. Now, He treated everybody fairly. He treated everybody with love and grace and in mercy. But there were different approaches. Even in, even in performing the same kind of miracle, Jesus would do it a different way. You know, one man who He healed from blindness. Jesus did the weirdest thing, all right? I'm allowed to say that. He did the weirdest thing to heal this man. You know what he did? He spit and made mud with his spit and then wiped it on the guy's eyes. That just is gross, okay? At least it seems that way to you and me. And they told him to go wash it off. Why did Jesus do it that way? When with another man... He maybe just put his fingers on his eyes and spoke a word. Why, why did Jesus do the same essential miracle differently? Because they're all individuals that he was dealing with. And we may not even understand why that person needed to be healed in that way, but Jesus knew this guy needs this specific treatment. And so he dealt with them differently. And we need to be like our Savior. Don't paint with a broad brush and assume that, you know, everybody's problem just boils down to one thing. Well, if you would just do this, everything would be right. You know, sometimes we, we're guilty of oversimplification. Well, you just need to pray. Well, maybe that person is praying hours a day. And you're going to tell them that just pray more? Well, you just need to read your Bible. Well, maybe they're reading their Bible faithfully, but they're just going through a dry spell and they don't even know why, but it's just they're frustrated because they're not getting out of it what they want. And you're just going to tell them to do it more? We just need to go to church. Maybe they're coming to church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Maybe they're coming to visitation in every extra event we have. Maybe they are the most faithful person there. And we throw out just these generic approaches and we think, well, this will solve everything when life is so much more complicated than that. Should we read our Bible? Should we pray? Should we go to church? Absolutely. Do we tell them to stop doing those things? Absolutely not. What we do is we seek to understand them and where they're at and what they're facing and give them the kind of help that they need in their situation. You know, it all comes back to one universal source of truth, and that is the Word of God. You know why God gave us a book this thick? Because if it were any thicker, we may not read it. No. Because it took this much space for God to communicate to us everything He wanted us to know. There's a lot in here. Don't think because you've picked up one thing that you've got it figured out. The longer you live, the more you study the Word of God, the more amazed you are going to be at what God has put in His Word to help us in our day-to-day -day lives. We have a universal source of truth, and we need to learn to go to it to find the answers 
to meet individual needs. Warn the unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient to all men. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm thankful for your promise that it is your spirit who quickens the flesh profits nothing and the words that you speak unto us, they are spirit and they are life. And Lord, I know that nothing I've said tonight, my words, that is, will help anybody. But I also know that your word will not return void. So Lord, I pray that the truth of the message that we have heard this evening will sink in our hearts and that we would learn to see those around us as individual souls with individual experiences and individual problems that we need to seek to give individual help to. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.